Hey, Forge family. This is episode number five of the Jacob story. Before we dive into that, I want to review just a little bit, set the stage for you from the last episode where we found that Jacob was fleeing from Esau's murderous intent. His brother felt cheated uh, in the blessing and, and had said openly, I'm going to kill him. And so Jacob flees his brother. He's also fleeing Canaanite culture. He's getting away from, from Canaan and he's going back to the homelands, if you will, to the family group in Haran. It's about a 400-mile trip. And he's been blessed and sent off by Isaac, his father, to go back to that group to get a wife. On the way, he comes to a rocky place at sunset up on the ridge that uh, you look to the left, you're going to see in the mist out there the Mediterranean, and you look to the right, you're down into the Rift Valley, the Jordan drainage that leads into the Dead Sea. And, and at that, right at sunset, he decides, I'm done. And he lays down his head on a stone and has a dream, and in the dream, he encounters God. God comes and stands next to him and blesses him. Out of that encounter with God, Jacob is launched on a journey with this God of his dreams. And God begins to, to change his character. He's also launched on a journey to walk out his vow that he made to this God that he would, he would honor God and he would bless God and he would tithe out of whatever God gave him and he would come back to that place that he named Bethel to worship God. What began as a rocky place that that God's presence transforms. Likewise, for us, the, the stony places that we find in our lives, the hard, hard places, really are intended by God to be a sanctuary, a place where we learn to worship Him, trust Him, and consecrate our lives to say, all right, Lord, you, you have set this in place. I've got lessons to learn. Give me the momentum by Holy Spirit to go forward from here. So as we begin episode number five, let's pray. Father, uh, Jacob awoke and was absolutely unaware that God had been in that place. He was shocked. Lord, sometimes we go through the same awakening that, that you are there, right there in our circumstances. So, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears to what is here for us to learn and put down deep in our heart and apply by means of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In chapter 29 of Genesis, it says... And Jacob picked up his feet. Literally, he, he moved on. He had a journey to go. Now, he'd spent the early part of that journey looking over his shoulder because he knew the efficacy of the hunter that was behind him. He knew that Esau could stalk after him. And I'm sure every step of the way, he was aware that his back was a vulnerable target. And so he moved quickly to get himself away from Esau. He travels to Haran, and when he arrives in that vicinity, he finds shepherds and flocks gathered at a well outside of Haran. Now, here, here's a specialist. Here's a man who has spent 77 years in his father's tents, and he has been the linchpin in the breeding and husbandry operations for Isaac. He has caused his father's flocks and herds to prosper. And he arrives in Haran, and here are shepherds and flocks standing around, and it's the wrong time of day. 
And so he says, oh, brothers, you know, a, a greeting. It's, a, it's somewhat of a familial greeting. He says, what, you know, what are you waiting for? And they said, oh, we're, we're waiting for the other flocks to gather. And when we get enough men together, we're going to roll this stone off the well so we can water the flocks. Now, Jacob's take on that is probably these guys are shirkers. They're lazy dudes because the, t- the sun is well up. Those flocks already probably have a little bit of water stress. They're supposed to get watered and driven out into the, into the fields, into the pastures. They're supposed to be led out so that they can feed all day long. And, and it's late. And so uh, he, he looks around and they say, oh, you know, he finds out, um, yes, these guys know his uncle. And his mother, Rebecca, had come from this same town. And, and the whole deal is reflected back on what had taken place 137 years before, when the faithful servant of Abraham, who'd taken a vow, who'd, who'd sworn an oath, had brought a caravan with the bride price to acquire a wife for Isaac, the, 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 first, the, the son who was going to carry the seed of Abraham. And here is, instead, 137 years later, here comes Jacob. He apparently doesn't have a penny to his name, but he arrives at a well. So we'll pick up on this in a little bit. Okay? And he's, he lifts his eyes up and he sees, oh, there's, there, here comes Rachel, and she's a shepherdess. That, that was a hard life for a woman. Because you have to protect the animals, you have to move the animals, you're around animals all the time. It's not very clean, you know, but, but she's apparently skilled at doing that. She's the number two daughter and probably got the scut work in the family. <clears throat> Shepherding wasn't a high-class job. And here she comes, and, and Jacob looks around, and he knows there's more than enough guys here to roll this stone off, and they're not doing it. You see, what there were, you could have a shaft that had been dug straight down and perhaps lined or, or uh, plastered with clay so that you'd have a water source. Or you could have a cistern that they called a well, which was just a rock-lined or a plastered hole in the ground that, that held water. And on top of that, they would put a large, flat heavy rock to seal it off with a, with a hole in the middle of it through which you could draw water up. Now, you want to seal that well off from groundwater because there's going to be animal manure on the ground. You get a heavy rain. You don't want that washing into the well. It also means there's no garbage. There's no dead animals. There's nothing that gets inadvertently dropped down the well. And it's covered because someone walking around in the dark could go Wah! right down the hole. So on top of this flat rock with the hole in the middle of it was placed a large stone that sealed the whole thing off. It meant that no casual bypasser could, you know, could move that stone and get access to the water. And so these shepherds are standing around saying, well, we have to have the manpower to move this stone. Jacob raises his eyes. He sees Rachel coming and he walks over and he moves the stone. Now, that's either superhuman effort, uh, a shot of adrenaline and testosterone poisoning, where he wants to impress these these, uh, lazy guys, 
and he wants to impress Rachel, or let me have you think about this. Remember, he's he's the specialist in animal husbandry coming from the tents of Isaac. And perhaps a big portion of his 77 years was spent around the tents and around the flocks and around the wells. And it may have been his in his capacity from youth to start moving those rocks off of wells until finally in full adult strength, he could do what normal men could not do because he did it every day to water the flocks. Now, he puts those shepherds on notice, I can do what you can't do. And he impresses Rachel. He goes over, he kisses her. Now, that's, that's a normal greeting between relatives. He introduces himself and he kisses her. And then he weeps. Finally, finally he has arrived. There's this huge emotional release. He feels safe. He's arrived at his goal. And Rachel runs off to tell Laban, his uncle, and recounts this whole scene with the shepherds and the moving of the rock. And dad, he kissed me. Verse 13, Laban, the same guy that that welcomed the faithful servant of Abraham into the house when he saw the gold in Rebekah's ears, when he saw a, a little tangible bit of the bride price for his sister. You see, Laban is aggressively greedy. Laban wants to, to line his pockets with the minimal amount of work. Rachel's run in. Rachel's told him everything. And so now Laban hurries to greet Jacob, his nephew, in verse 13. Now it's his sister's son. It's his nephew. And he calls him, your flesh of my flesh and blood of my blood. You're, you're, you're family. And so he brings in this this uh, young man who has come all the way from Canaan. And a month passes, in which time, apparently, Jacob has been working. Jacob has been doing the, doing the stuff. You know, he's a specialist. He knows, he knows exactly what to do, and he sets about doing it. And, and, and then there's this meeting between Laban and Jacob. And literally it says, Are you surely a relative of mine that you should work for me for nothing? Question mark. The way it's phrased in Hebrew expects a negative answer. See, he expects Jacob to say, oh yeah, I'm a relative, I'm going to work for nothing. But, because relatives do work for nothing in that, in the, in that familial setting. If you're, if you're related, you're just caught up in the family business and you come along and you get you know, a tent over your head and, and three squares a day. <clears throat> but out of Laban's smooth talk, he begins to reduce Jacob to a lowly laborer. He doesn't treat him like a relative. Now, Jacob, the problem is, Jacob has come away from Isaac to acquire a wife without a nickel in his pocket. He doesn't have the bride price. He was sent up there to get a wife, but he can't pay the freight. He has no resources. And so... Laban sees the opportunity. He says, well, tell me, what's your wage? Go ahead. You know, what should I pay you? And Jacob comes back and says, give me Rachel 
your second-born daughter as my wife, and I and I will work for you for seven years. See, Laban had two daughters, and you can tell by their names. You can get a clue from the names how much Laban valued his daughters. Leah was the oldest. Her name means cow. Rachel is the youngest. Her name means you, meaning fertile, fecund, sheep, female sheep. And it says also of Leah that she had soft eyes or, or weak eyes. Um, that could have been a physical limitation. She may have had some limitation on her eyesight, or she may have had downcast eyes. She may not have looked anyone in the eye. She may have had no spark of life in her. And so what attracts Jacob to Rachel is her beautiful appearance in form and in face. And he falls in love. So there's a contract set in place and probably for those seven years, he was put in charge of the husbandry over Laban's flocks, the herding, the breeding, and the oversight, and the sales and trades, if necessary, to acquire a better uh, livestock. In return, Laban says, oh well, verse 19, he says, better than I give this woman, this child, he doesn't even give her name, give her to you. Give Rachel to you. Better she is given to you than another man. To him, there's, there's no sense of this is my daughter and she's precious. It's she's a commodity. And I'm going to get out of her what I could get out of anybody else. Seven years pass. Finally, Jacob comes and says, I fulfilled my part of the contract. Give me my wife. And so there's a feast. They gather all the men in the area and they have this blowout party, and in that night, when he's been well lubricated with the wine of the celebration, it says Laban brings him Leah, the firstborn. Now, in those cultures, to this day, in those cultures to this day, the bride is brought veiled, and she's brought in darkness, and she's delivered into the bed of Jacob, and he awakes in the morning and goes, whoa, that's not my Rachel. And he realized he has been deceived. Now Jacob's Jacob comes and challenges Laban over this. He goes right at him and says, you deceived me. Laban comes back and says, well, marrying off the second-born daughter is not, it doesn't work in our culture. We have to have the first-born daughter married first. But if you'll enjoy your wedding week, your bridal week here, the feast that runs for seven days, at the end of that, I will give you Rachel too, if you work another seven years. along with these women, along with these girls that were delivered into the bed of Jacob, a, 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 the firstborn daughter, which he did not love, and the secondborn daughter, which he is madly in love with, first came Zilpah, the handmaid. Her name means a small nose, and she came along with Leah. Secondly, Bilhah came along with Rachel 
and as the handmaiden, and her name means carefree. We'll come back to that in future lessons. So here's Jacob, trapped, powerless against Laban, against the family, and against the labor contracts that are set out for him. Now, he loved Rachel more than Leah. He'd made, he'd made his choice on day one. But here, after seven years, he's got two wives. That young man, if you will, now he's 77, 78. No, excuse me, he'd be, he'd be 84 years old now. Okay? He doesn't get much sleep because he has two new wives. Now, would you please think with me what has happened here? We have all this is narrative, but there are great lessons here. Jacob comes from Bethel, having put his head on a stone and encountered God, the God of Abraham, who blesses him. And then he comes into Haran and he finds a stone that he has to move to impress Rachel, to impress the shepherds. He puts everybody on notice. In one, he encounters God. In one, it, the, one, the, the, the stone over the, the well in Haran, it just is a chance for him to exhibit his own strength. And there's this contrast in his life. Stones mean something. First, there's the presence of God, and then there's his own capacities. Now, the providence of God is in both places. But Jacob comes to Haran unaware of what God is really doing. Second, Abraham had extracted a vow and an oath, as I mentioned before, from this faithful servant who comes with a caravan with the bride price to Haran to acquire a wife for Isaac. And in the middle of that is Laban, who tries to trick the servant. But the servant sets up this scene at the well and he prays. I said, you know, I said, said in that um, particular episode, this is the first recorded specific prayer of request in the scriptures where the, the faithful servant of Abraham asks God to reveal who this woman would be and let her be the first one who comes, Lord, and let her offer me a drink and let her water my candles. That was a massive job. That was 200 gallons of water at a minimum. And so he receives the drink he watches Rebecca water the camels. She welcomes him to her home. And the whole time, that faithful servant of Abraham is watching Rebecca's character be revealed. And then he rejoices, first at the well and then in the presence of Laban. He rejoices and praises God for God's faithfulness of providing a wife. Now, come with me to Jacob. <laughs> As he arrives at the well in Haran, he comes penniless. There's no bride price. Okay? He moves the stone by his own strength. And he waters the flocks. See, he's, he's only seeing the beauty of Rachel, not her character. And he doesn't offer thanks. He doesn't fall on his face. He doesn't say, oh God, what an awesome thing you've done. He just walks through it, unaware of the providence of God. Thirdly, Laban runs out to greet Jacob. He's heard. He's heard. You know, he, you know, your nephew's here. Your nephew's here. He kissed me. You know, uh, you know, Rachel's run in and told the whole story about the rock and the stone. 137 years before, he welcomed the servant of Abraham because he had seen the gold earrings, and he knew 
there was going to be cash money on the line to let his sister Rebecca go be the wife of Isaac. Here, Laban is again the trickster, the greedy guy. And, and he sees Jacob arrive, and he doesn't have a purse. He can tell at one glance this guy isn't carrying any wealth with him. But he is a worker that is worth gold. And he sets about to, to draw that worker into his web. Calls him flesh and blood. You know, he sets about to ensure, you know, that Jacob knows, oh yeah, you're, you're my nephew. But he sets about to ensnare Jacob with the labor contracts. In that time and in that place, there is no praise from Jacob. There's no recounting of God's faithfulness in the midst of that. Jacob just shows up and goes, hi, uncle. I'm the grandson of Nahor. And he delivers himself into the care of Laban. That's a wrong choice. Fourthly, there's this problem of moral reciprocity, which just means Jacob had sowed lies and deceit to acquire a blessing from the blind Isaac, his own father. Galatians 6-7 says, don't be deceived. God is not going to be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What you sow, you'll reap. Remember the deceit and the lies that got Jacob the blessing, but got him in flight to get away from Esau. Here, okay, in this story, Jacob is deceived again. It's a dark night, there's a bridal veil, and he does not get the love of his life. He gets in measure back from Laban, a, a, a greater trickster than he. You know, the, the line, you know, in, in Hollywood is, you know, you don't try to con a con. You don't try and take advantage of someone who you know is, is slipperier than you. And Jacob doesn't get it yet. Lastly, Jacob did get the love he sought. But it cost him 14 years of labor as a servant, not, not as a nephew, but as a servant. See, when he arrived, he cried out. He said, oh, oh, it's so good to be free. I've got safety. I've got family. I'm going to get a wife here. I have escaped Esau. And he drops his guard. When he did that, he walks into this web of dealing with Laban, who is more deceitful than he. So for you guys, for you guys, for me, for all of us, heads up. When you get to a place where you go, oh, I'm freed from that. That's over. It's done with. That season is finished. You have to realize that's where you're vulnerable. And that's where the enemy says, I got a plan for your life. So instead of going, whoa, finally, that's over, it's done with, that's when you get on your knees and you say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And then you wait for his leading for what comes next. You, you want to hear from him at that critical point. You just don't want to go, oh, I'm free from all of that and I can go forward. You want to check in. 
you want to make sure that the next steps fall in line with what God with what God has for you. Now ultimately here God is changing Jacob's character. He's leading him directly into more confrontations with himself, with the Lord God who oversaw Abraham and Isaac and has given his blessing to Jacob. All right, guys, for us, you have to remember what goes around comes around. If you sow deceit and lies and anger and snarky comments and criticism, you know, pouty face, that's what you're going to get back. Only you'll, it'll come back double, triple. It'll, it'll come and, and snare you around the ankles. It's going to lock you in. In contrast to that, if you sow love and joy and peace, care and service and show faithfulness in your relationships with people, you will reap the results of that, which is freedom and a life that's really worth living. And then lastly, uh, look and listen. Look and listen. Look and listen for the providence of God. You want his intervention, and you want to see it. You want his appointments laid out before you, and you want to see what they are. You want his timing, not Kronos time, but his time. It's in the New Testament, it's called Kairos time. It's strategic time. You want God's timing for your life. You want his protection. You want his provision. You want his ways. And then you do all of that so you can be thankful, 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 and worship in that place. All right, Forge, God bless you. We're going to see you soon.